The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic and this is the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, Adam Leventhal, alongside Mike Parkin. Hello Mike. Hello, in the words of the levellers, what a beautiful day. It is indeed, it is. and it's, a, it's been a, it's a football free period as well, which is, I don't know, it's coincided nicely with, you know, sunny skies and, uh, and no football at the moment. So it is quite a nice combination at the moment and DCW is here as well. Dave, how are you? I'm very good. Very good. Yeah, I do struggle with the international breaks, actually. I do miss the relentless football, actually, when it when it's taken away from us. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting this period out of the way as quickly as possible. And it has sort of come at, a, at the wrong time for Watford as well, because you would have loved to have kicked on. Yes, I know it's Liverpool, but kicked on into whatever fixture after a confidence-boosting win uh, at Southampton. And we will discuss that a little bit later on. And the, and the hero of the hour, Cucho Hernandez, we'll talk about him. But this episode is dedicated, in the main, really, to a former Watford manager who won promotion to the Premier League back in 2005-2006 and... Yeah, we have said a couple of times this year that this has almost felt like an old-school promotion and relegation. Well, when A.D. Boothroyd was in charge, it was very much an old-school promotion and relegation. We we went up and we came straight back down. And interestingly, from his perspective at the moment, he is trying to get back up again because he lost his job uh, as the England under-21 manager around about a year ago after the European Championships didn't go so well for the England under-21s, but he'd spent seven years with the FA working uh, with the under-19s, the under-20s, and helping behind the scenes at various different age groups as well. And we'll be hearing from him about how he is trying to sort of get his career back on track. And he reflects on on the England issues and some of the lessons that he has learnt over his managerial career, which has included the likes of Colchester and Coventry and Northampton, as well as Watford and England. What emotions are conjured up when you hear those two words, A.D. and Boothroyd? Dave? I've got a lot of fondness for, for Boothroyd. Similar to how I sort of talked fondly about Ray Lewington when he came back to the club and about his time at the helm at Watford. It was sort of a formative spell for me and it was kind of I had a season ticket. I was there for the whole ride that season, that promotion season. I was at the final in Cardiff with my dad, and it, 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 I can I can look back on it with nothing but fondness and and good times really. And we we were such an exciting team. We blew teams away. We scored lots of goals. Yeah, we were aggressive. Yeah, there was the long ball stuff, which you which you touch on with Boothroyd in the interview, and I find it strange a little bit how that's get how much that gets sort of used as a stick to beat him with because no one really complained when it was going well but then when it all starts going wrong it's like oh you're playing rubbish football and all that stuff which I, I find you know as a side note I find that sort of a generally kind of sort of fascinating sort of topic and about how people's views about what is and isn't good football but anyway I, I, I definitely hold Boothroyd very high in high regard I know that there that it went wrong and I know lots of people have very valid criticisms about some of the stuff that happened in terms of you know the the final two seasons at the helm and stuff but generally my first emotion is one of great fondness there's, a, there's only one thing really you can think of when you think about Adrie, Adrie Boothroyd and that is uh, it's four words isn't it do 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 Oh, that's the same word four times, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but I, I think I think Katie Boothroyd he delivered really what is the archetypal Watford experience, didn't he? It was we were underdogs. Our success was was unexpected, and ultimately we were we were unstoppable, weren't we? And that that's so often the joy in being a Watford fan, isn't it? Sort of basically flicking the V's to all the people that expect they're going to roll you over and 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 win the win the league or, or get promoted. We came from absolutely nowhere. Uh, ruffled a load of feathers along the way and and got promoted in style in arguably the best way possible with a with a with a romp in the in the playoff final. 
So I think it's impossible not to look look back on his tenure without being just grateful, really, for that for that season. Obviously, the Premier League season didn't didn't go to plan. The injuries and the lack of a a squad that was really up to it meant that it was pretty forgettable in the Premier League. But it's not really about that, is it? It's more about the memories of of when things go go well. And that's that season when we went up. The fact that it was just so unexpected and and people like Marlon King a bit of a rough diamond coming to the fore Darius Henderson and Ben Foster young Ben Foster a young Ashley Young it was it was just swashbuckling stuff was it and and as Dave rightly alludes to some people sort of deride it the, that achievement because of the the style of football in, in inverted commas well actually when you're a team like well not even when you're a team like Watford quite frankly who gives a stuff when you come from nowhere to get promoted to the Premier League with some really memorable moments on the way, that is what it's all about. Does, does it get you out of your seat cheering? Um, does it get you talking um, about, the, uh, about the games in the pub? Does it get the blood pumping? Well, it did all three of those things. It was, it was a magical, magical time. Brilliant stuff, I thought. I think it's worth sticking a flag in the fact that obviously when he departed um, and a lot of Watford fans still associate with with that side of things that you know the financial difficulties and, and all that sort of stuff um that will pop into a lot of Watford fans minds but from, from my perspective I, I echo your your views as well I remember being there obviously at in Cardiff and and being there with my family and and watching the the hordes of Leeds fans scary Leeds fans loud Leeds fans and then it was only Watford in there that were full of power and were full of fight and were were the thing just lit up Cardiff and and that was a memorable memorable day and he did something that no one else had done apart from from Graham Taylor at that point and I remember when we welcomed him back at the Watford Palace Theatre for a Tales from the Vicarage live event and I was a little bit unsure about what sort of reception he was going to get but he he did in the end get a great reception because he had done something and delivered moments um, that a lot of Watford fans will remember and yes there was a bit sort of agricultural football attached at times, but it was it was a winning formula for the majority of the time. And um, I think a lot of Watford fans are, are grateful for that. But let's concentrate on where he is now, because I went to see him around about 10 days ago at his home in Bromsgrove, leafy Worcestershire countryside. And we sat down on his sofa and had a, a good chat about where he finds himself now and, and, you know, what is the mood like for A.D. Boothroyd right now? My soul is in a really good place. I'm really, really, really grateful for the opportunity that Sheffield United have given me to go and work with their academy players or a PDP, you know, the, the older end, the 18 to 23, working with a couple of coaches there that are new in leadership roles. Uh, I'm getting to do a bit of coaching. I'm getting to do a bit of mentoring. I'm getting to do. I'm just there to support in many ways. But I really enjoy it. It's three times a week. It's an all or nothing sort of role. When you're in there, you're in there. You know, you, the days are long, and it reminds me of what it was like to be a youth team coach and the effort and the energy and the sacrifice that you make to to produce these players and to be part of that is is, is really exciting and, and really enjoyable. I enjoy getting getting up, getting in the car, and getting up there and doing my day's work and coming home. So. My soul is in a good place, but like all managers, I think, gets to a point where you miss it and you want to come back. I miss the management side, I miss the leadership side. I love being there to support the coaches and the players at Sheffield. But I am a head coach, I am a developer. I've always enjoyed the winning and I've always enjoyed the developing. and That would probably be my biggest skill set and I'm actually doing it. So I'm good. I'm really good. I, I see some of the great decisions that get made <clears throat> and I can perhaps, I think when you get a bit older, you see what's coming a little bit earlier, mm. don't you? you? You can sort of recognise things and what might lead to it, what are the effects and um, uh, what, what happens of, of, of something, that, a decision that you make, what happens further down the line. So I, I see all that and, and we have conversations about that and, and both guys have, you know, have, have said to me, you know, if, if you think something, I want to know. You know, if you know, don't hold back. If you think that there's there's any way that that we can improve, you know, then we want to we want to do it. And you know, I think when I look back to when I when I first started out at Peterborough and Norwich and then West Brom to Leeds, when I when I think about my background there and that time in the trenches that you have, where you're pretty much doing everything, even though there's more staff these days, the the challenges are, are still the same. I think overall, it's uh, 
it's, it's really got me going again, to be honest. This is almost like a, a bridge to get back in, get going again, get back on the grass. But you do have loftier ambitions, as, as one would expect after the circles that you've been moving in. What's your ideal next opportunity? You know, you want you want to be back in the dugout. You want to have a team. You want to be A.D. Boothroyd, manager of X, don't you? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And you're right. It, it's important to acknowledge to be given an opportunity, you know, to, to not, you know, my, my dog was getting sick of being walked. Certainly my wife was sick of me being at home as well. So to have to been given the opportunity is, is, is brilliant. But you're right, at some point or other, something will come along. I, I think what I can be now is a little bit more selective to get my needs met in terms of the coaching and the managing and the, and the leading. I had a couple of really good offers. I've hit the, I've hit the post on a couple of, of, of opportunities. And then I'm, I'm sort of looking a little bit further afield now, having a little look what, what else is out there. I will be back for, for definite. When that is, I, I can't really say. Where it is, I can't really say. But I'm, I'm a bit more open to broadening my horizons. You know, there's more than just football, I think, out there, particularly with with COVID and you know what's going on in Ukraine. You sort of gives you a bit of gives us all a bit of a bit of a wake up call, really, to to the world as it is and, and where you can travel and where you can work. So we'll see. But but one thing's for sure, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. But yeah, the the urge to get back into the dugout is sometimes overwhelming, particularly when you go and watch a lot of games and think, yeah, okay, brilliant. Oh. For example, we, we beat Blackburn in the last minute and then we, uh, we conceded a goal against Forest in the last minute. And that, to me, just sums it all up. That's, that's what we crave. You know, obviously, we want to win the last, last, in the last minute every single game, but it doesn't work like that, particularly in the Championship. So that grind and that hustle and that bustle and that banging out the, the games and getting in the playoffs and being successful and you know those those things I, I definitely do miss and the championship is you are playing for high stakes you have that ability to get back on the bike or back on the horse or whatever the saying is if if things haven't gone to plan at the weekend which is which does make it very enticing i suppose is that the sort is that the level that you would see yourself if you were to be in england rather than abroad which is obviously an opportunity as well would you like to think well i could go back into championship level where I where I did have some success when it all started yeah I think that's where I've done my best work the Watford experience and, and going going in there and we, you know good group of people again with a knew exactly what we were doing where we were going what we wanted to do probably all my best work really has been in the championship in terms of getting in somewhere recruiting having a go and and then getting getting an unbelievable promotion which Back then, we would never thought we were going to get that. The game, the game has has changed in some ways, tactically and technically. I, I think there's a more of an emphasis these days on whether it be pressing, uh, or which is which is a big theme because of what's coming into the game from from abroad. People say, well, we've always pressed in this country. It's just just the other bit, the technical skills. Well, now we've got that. We've got the technical skills. We've got we've, we've got players that are more tactically aware, and that sort of filters down from the top level. In, into the championship but for me I think there are some things that never change some principles that just never change like the softer skills in dealing with people and listening to people and getting the best out of people and when people talk to me about you know what's your philosophy Eddie usually you'd have just a page and page of, of words about the way that you want to defend the way that you want to attack your transitions your set plays your momentum but, it, but it's more than that to me it's about how you deal who you are as a person what you are what you bring to the party, the leadership skills that you've got for um, for the people that you're working with, uh, whether that be upwards, downwards or sidewards. Of course, there's a, there's a management of stuff. So all the logistics and all your, you know, all your preparation, making sure you get all that right. It, it, it's more than just X's and O's. It's more than just tactics. It's more than I think I think the best coaches are the ones still that have got the 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 the, the more soft skills, the ability to help people out themselves and, and, and get where ultimately we think we all can get. In terms of your experiences, say from the end of Watford and then going on through Colchester and Coventry and Northampton, the work that you've done at England since, in terms of the going back into club management, how have you changed, how have you developed 
how many more strings to your bow do you have how are they are they tuned differently i think wherever i've been i've, I've learned something um, and i think as you get older obviously naturally things are going to occur in your career in your life that's going to uh, make you better if it, or, or not so i think coming coming out of watford and going into colchester i just wanted to work mm. i just wanted to get back on the grass i just wanted to prove myself and and i and i really enjoyed colchester uh, really enjoyed it and we, we just narrowly missed out on the playoffs and then Coventry came along because of what had done at, 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 or what had been built at, at, at Colchester only in a short space of time so to go into Coventry and to deal with you know it's not the club that it is now no. we were that close on so many occasions to um, the clubs in real trouble here to mm. the point where I go into press conferences people would be asking me about players and I was told well you can't speak about them because we've got a transfer embargo so I, I was having to react to questions and still try and win without actually being able to give out the information of actually what's going on at this club mm. and who was, who's actually got any money and who's all the players in there. So politically, that was a massive learning for me because at, at, at Watford, I had a brilliant relationship with the, um, with the, with the chief exec and the chairman. It was, it was a good triangle of, you know, it was a triangle of trust, if you like, and that's what you need when you go into a club. Uh, 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 that one at Coventry in that particular time that was a real eye opener for me uh, and, and I, I think I think looking back um, and I've, I've been back a few times since I'm hoping to go Saturday actually the, the, the people there it's, it's a different board it, it's a different um, it's a different outlook they've given their manager who's done brilliant Mark Robbins mm. uh, give him the time to build something special yeah. which, he's, which he is doing and which is great to see another you know, good English coach doing well so, so Coventry was a le- was a massive political learning for me. The Northampton job, I'd, I'd been out ten months. I, I just wanted to get back in. I wanted to to work. Having worked at the top end of the game in the Premier League, going in at a club that was pretty much bottom of the league in, in Northampton, I think a lot of people probably thought. Well, I got a call from a, a manager that said to me, "You know, you're brave. Why don't you just wait?" But yeah, I was I was impatient then. <laughs> And maybe a little bit mad in that I thought I could turn a, a, a team around that were really, really struggling at the bottom of the league that, again, were going to hit financial issues, which cropped up much later later on down the line. But to take that team from needing to win the penultimate game of the season to stay up, getting a draw away, away nil-nil at Hereford, was actually, it just kept people in the jobs for another year. And because we did that, we were able to build, get some better players in, Calling a lot of favours and end up getting to a playoff final, having you know going from from bottom of the league from from twentieth place almost into fifth, getting in the playoffs, winning the playoff semi final, but then losing the final again. That's that's that sliding doors where I got an offer from a club, not not an offer, an interview for a club in the championship at that time, uh, and because we didn't win the final, it was like oh he's not a very good coach then. <laughs> As it can be, is that moment where somebody's doing well, the door opens, you walk in. So unfortunately, we didn't win that particular game. We lost, we lost the final three 0 to Bradford. And then, as sometimes happens when when teams are successful, the, the chairman wants to or, or the owner wants to change things around. And you know, when I was pretty much on on the bus on the way back from Wembley, the the uh, the, after, the uh, after season party. I spoke to the chairman and he told me we were going to cut the, the budget by a, by a third. So I knew then it wasn't if it was when, uh, and it was never it was inevitable that you know that I was going to go with without the quality of players to, to to work with to get us back where we'd worked so hard to get into that top six. But that's that's life, and uh, and again it's just something something that you learn and you know from from each experience, and then pretty much within three weeks. There was an opportunity for a, a national coach's job, and as you said, that's what I've either done. I've either been a, a you know a manager or I've been a developer, a winner or a developer. And this one came along, and I thought that'd be great for me. And I went through the most rigorous testing and interviewing. <laughs> I think they sort of see it that it was the elite level as young developing international, developing young players at international level that they wanted the very very best or wanted something different and I think being a former manager um, and a developer it, it put me in a good place to, to get an interview and ultimately it was uh, was, was Gareth and Dan and, and 
to Trevor at the time that gave me the job and gave me the opportunity. So brings us round to, 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 to England, really, and, and my experiences there, which were, were brilliant. So getting back to your original question about, you know, eight years out, I, wherever I've been, I've grown in terms of what I've learned in knowledge and experience. And I've got the energy, I've got the experience to be able to go on and put into action what I've learned. Because like I said, there's, there's, there's lots of things in the game that are, that, that are a little bit different but there's lots of things that aren't. To have that ability to bring a group together, to find a common aim, to go and win, I've done that wherever I've been, and that will never change it. The end of the England experience was was a very different different thing to what you had been doing up until that, that point. I mean, yeah. just explain, because I think it's interesting, how you were in that job, that under-21 job, in the first place. Tell us about the background to it. I think there can be a lot of jealousy in football and I, th- I think when people do well or get opportunities, there are, there are always going to be those people that say, oh, how's he got that? And I think in this particular case, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in, in the article that, that got written after the, uh, the, the group stages and not going, not going through in, uh, the last one. Um, a lot of stuff about Dan Ashworth and how you know, I was best man at his wedding and, and all that nonsense. You know, just to put the record straight, Dan and I, I've known him since I was still playing football in 1997. So I've known him a long time. Mm. Went our separate ways. Uh, I went uh, on to Norwich, then Leeds, then Watford. As a manager, got a team promoted. Dan, I actually brought him to West Brom mm. as the, to be the academy manager. So we've been friends for a long time. He is very, very talented. That's why he's done what he's done at the clubs he's been at. It's no surprise that... The, the work that's that, that's getting done or has been done at West Brom is, is over a long-lasting legacy. Both he and I put down, but he, he took it on to another level. There's no doubt about that. His work at England is an amazing achievement. On, on his watch, we've had the greatest period of, of trophies and players through a system in place than we've ever had. You know, we've, we've got two European Championships runners-up. We've got to a, a World Cup semi-final. You know, that's all under his watch. All the trophies that were won at under-20 level, European Championship level, 17, 19, 20s, 21s, narrowly missing out. That That is, he was the leader at that particular time. So he knows what he's doing. He's, he's absolutely no mug. And the fact that he gave me an opportunity, I'm not doing this because I know you, I'm doing this because you offer something that we haven't got. And at that particular time, they had very little manager manager experience. So somebody that's going in there with 400 plus games, give these young players an idea of what it is uh, when they you know as they go through that part of their, their career through that professional development phase to becoming regular senior players so I was part of a system going through the process to get that job it was, it was incredible really you know not just a presentation on what you do in the first 90 days there was work around coaching so with, with some coaching um, work done in wheelchair basketball just to throw the candidates in, into all sorts of you know, we've never coached this before. Well, let's see how you do. Let's see how you work. So dropping, dropping things on, on people like that. Um, in terms of getting to, a, to have an understanding of an international squad, of picking a squad, and you have to do a presentation on that. There must must have been about four or five presentations that we had to do, and I was fortunate at the end of it to to, to come out of it. The process in getting that job was very very difficult, but because of what I'd done before, I'd I'd earned it. A bit of a bit of a a, a snapshot on mine and Dan's relationship and mm-hmm. how I brought him into West Brom and how he, uh, in, in many ways, when he was building, thought I was the right person for the right job at the right time, along with Gareth and, and, and Sir Trevor. If you get a reputation for something yeah. or something sticks and people go, oh, well, that's, that happened because of that and it just grows legs and runs off and it, you can't control it. Yeah. And it's similar to the perception of when you left Watford and the style of football and all that sort of stuff and nicknames and all that sort of stuff. You can't change that. You have to you have to keep looking that way. You can't be bothered by, oh, well, they all think I got that job because of Dan Ashworth or they all still call me Hoofroid. I can't. You can't deal. You What can you do about that? You can't. You can't change that, can you? No, you can't. But, but you do spend some of your time trying to do that. Right. I, and I can remember a, a period in my career where we've been very very successful and all the style of play stuff started to come out and 
to me, coaching is getting the best out of what you've got. And that's what I think that we did at Watford. We got the best out of what we've got and we beat a lot of teams with a lot of bigger budgets. You know, I think we were fourth lowest budget in the league and we finished third. You know, that doesn't add up. Why is that happening? Well, that's happening because of these people, mm-hmm. because of the systems and processes we had in place, because of the quality of the players and the quality of the people, more importantly, that we had on the bus at that particular time, that we're all going forward, top to bottom, boardroom to the person that, that was a steward at the club, you know, it was a feel-good f- factor. It was, it was almost getting back to the days of GT and, uh, and, and how good things were at Watford then. I, I did find it difficult, I'll be honest with you, because I thought, you know, I wasn't getting any re- recognition. There was a lot of ego. But then when I look back on it now, it doesn't matter so much because I've been fortunate enough to help get the best out of a group of players that probably had no right to do what they did to become Premier League players, some of them. But then, but then at the same time, I think, well, I've, I've also been fortunate enough to work with the best players in the world. And I don't see that, say that fleetingly, you know, Phil Fordin will be the, a Ballon d'Or winner, mm. you know, and to work with a player of that calibre and the 27 others that got through the system at that particular time. And that's a huge amount of players when you say it like that, that have come through the system because it, it is all geared to getting players through to Gareth to give them the best possible chance of winning. That's what we're there for. That's what we were there for. It, it did hurt, and I think I did spend a bit of time in my career thinking, how, how can I change this? Because you're right, mud does stick. But what, what I will say is, and you sort of alluded to it earlier, in the, in the seven years that I've not been a football league manager or championship manager or, or working, working at that level, is that when you're working with the best players in the world at, at that age group, and when you're playing against teams like, they give you different tactical challenges so yeah. the way the Spanish play the game the way the Germans play the game you know Croatia M- Mexico uh, Spain France Italy all these teams I'll, I'll just reel them off like that you know there's 60 70 odd international games there against different footballing philosophies and to be in and around that and to have compete against that uh, it just teaches you so much mm. before we went to the last Euros we played Poland in a friendly Ashton Gate they played a back seven I'm, I'm not kidding you, they played a back seven. Back seven, a two and a one. And it was like, i never seen this before. Why, why won't they do that? It's England, you, you, they're away from home, that's what they're going to do, now break them down. It's like, right, okay. And then we come up against the diamond and then we play the Germans and we think that we're playing a four, two, three, one and they end up playing three at the back and four and then a box midfield and it's like, all of a sudden, all your juices come back. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. This, this is what I'm all about what we're going to do here and you, you come up with your tactical plans for uh, if you're in possession strategy you're out possession strategy you know what we're going to do in set plays how, how can we unlodge and unhinge them to get you know and all that sort of stuff where you fell in love with the game in the first place comes flooding back for me to have, 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 have actually worked at a level where you get really if you can get the best help people get the best out of themselves then that is good coaching the tactical challenges that you face in the game, that you see at Premier League level, uh, you know, that, that you see at, they see at all levels. Everybody's trying to do the best they can do with what they've got. And, and some teams will do really well and win and, and others won't. It did hurt uh, initially. Um, and, you know, I, I did, I think, say, say, say a few things that might be uh, construed as sort of inflammatory. But really, when I look back on it now, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. I was asked the question about, you know, I should know better really being led into a question like this, but after the, after the you know, Euros, is it the impossible job? When you've got one game that you need to win, 2-0 to go through with a, a brand new squad going into that tournament because, because of what was going outside. And a, and a journalist says to you, is it the impossible job? And because you roar and you've just been scored on in the last minute, you'll say, yeah, it is. Right, there's the headline. Boothroyd says impossible job. All of a sudden, what do you think? Well, you don't know what he's talking about. You know, how, how can how can you be an England coach and say that? And you know, these three lions and come on, you got to judge comment where it comes from. Do I think it's the impossible job? No, I don't. I don't. Now I've had time to reflect, and you know, I think some of those comments about whether it's an impossible job. You know, Gareth's is a tough job. My job, which was agreed by everybody connected from the chairman of the board to to the, the, the newest coach into the building was that we are all there to produce players for Gareth. Simple as that. If that is what the job description is and was, then that's it. That's what it is. And, and, and we managed to achieve that. Not just me, but the group of coaches 
all the way through that system. You know, the Keith Downings, Steve Cooper, all those guys, Dan Machichi, Gareth, myself, all in a room discussing strategy, discussing what we're going to do, debriefing our camps and tournaments. And those things, I think, stand you in, 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 in good stead because you're learning and you're improving and you're producing good players and, and winning uh, at all levels. But, you know, when it's England and it's the Three Lions, no matter what team gets put out, they're expected to win. And that's where, reflectively, I, sh- I should have probably kept my mouth shut, really, and just thought, well, we're expected to win, and you know that, and it is a difficult job, but you're working with good players, and it's up to you to get the best out of what you can in two days, because that's sometimes all we've got. Take the slap in the face, get on with it, you know, wipe your mouth and get on with it. I think you've got to do that, or you otherwise you become bitter and twisted. So I think over a period of time, I've become more resilient and more thick-skinned but it can affect you. But at the end of the day, you've got a great job. You're working with some very, very talented players. Definitely some talented, you know, really talented people. I'm glad I've had the experiences that I've had. I'm, I'm glad that we've won promotions. I've gl- I'm, I'm glad that I've had relegations. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that we've had tournament wins. And I'm pleased that we haven't had tournament wins. That we've gone out in the group stages. Because they've made me more rounded, more appreciative of what I've got. And I've got a, I've got a skill set now that's that's growing really all the time. You know, I've gone from being the the rookie manager that gets a team into the Premier League at 34 to the guy that's got a little bit of grey hair that's uh, there on the shoulder of, of two young coaches that are trying to progress and, and and get better and sort of trying to give them my support and my experience. I remember an interview that I did with Jeff Stelling probably a couple of weeks into the league. Uh, 2005-2006 season and he asked me a question and he said you know what what's the plan and I said to him to stay in it as long as I can because I don't know what's going to happen next and you know here we are however many years later you know you came to the first press conference and both of us are still going so that in itself has, has been a brilliant you know and it's a word that gets overused but so far I've had a brilliant journey I guess I'm a little bit more rounded now it was interesting at that time the, the sort of, I suppose the follow-up was, oh, because Gareth keeps on nicking all my best players. I suppose the, the the subplot there, and then when there's a big article afterwards of, you know, the failures of Boothroyd and all this sort of stuff, yeah. the perception is there was a personality clash there. They never, no. Yeah, they never got on. And you think, well, one, they're <laughs> colleagues, and two, that, I don't know how many personality clashes either you or Gareth have on a regular basis, but you don't see it strike me as two people that would actually go head to head, log ahead over selection issues. I mean, that was, that was a complete misconception. A massive misconception. Um, I, I shared a, a desk with Gareth for five years, myself, uh, him and, and uh, Steve Holland. So for five years, we sat together, plotted together, I was fortunate enough to be around the, the, all the, 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 the planning for the, for the tournaments, for the groups. Um, we'd be on the phone regularly, daily. In terms of personality clashes, Gareth gets on with everybody, doesn't he? Gareth's the nicest man in the world. Probably in that time, a little bit of me rubbed, up, rubbed off on him and a little bit of him rubbed off on me. Certainly, I, I can't ever recall a personality clash, ever, because it was a good environment. Yeah, there were, there were challenges along the way and we would challenge each other. In terms of the whole coaching team, from from fifteens uh, up to up to senior, uh, there's a really really good interaction. So that that one that would dispel that. that that's that's straight away. I mean, and I can even remember Gareth saying, as trying to protect me in, in some ways, talking about well, I've nicked all his best players. I mean, he's quoted as saying that a few times. <laughs> and as I said, that is the job. So we accept that. And as I said, from from the chairman to the, the under-15 coach, we all knew what we were there for. You just got, you just got to accept it because that's the way it is. And, and I knew that coming into the job, but actually when it actually happened and, you know, we didn't get the results that we wanted to, it's like, I should have been a bit cuter in, in, in my answer, but it was just genuinely, <sighs> crikey, that, that hurt, last minute of, of, of the game. Oh God, the last minute of the last minute of the game and you're out and it's like, that's so tough to take. Because normally, if you're in the championship, you get back on the horse Tuesday, don't you? And you get a chance mm. to put it right. Mm. You don't get a chance to put it right for months. And that was probably why, you know, in, in the end, coming out of it was, uh, I, I think, looking back on it a year later, was, was, was the right thing to do. 
how did that sort of manifest itself that that was the end of that role? Over a period of time, and I think after the tournament, I, I can't I can't say it was a um, a decision that uh, that was made for me because that's not true. It was a situation where I'd, I'd sort of come to the end. You know, I think when you're working working for the FA and when you're working for England, I think the the job does have a lifespan. And I'd had two and a half goals at it, got to a semi final, but I just I just thought it was time for me to get back on the grass. I was really missing the time with the players, really missing the leadership and managing role of being a manager of a football club or a head coach of a football club. I'd travelled the world, I'd been in tournaments, I'd won things, we got players through to the senior team. I just thought it was the right time for me to go, really. It was all very amicable. John McDermott was, was with us uh, at, the, at the tournament. He was very supportive. In the end, it was one of them where it was the right time to go. Mm. You know, things have a natural end, don't they? I think, think that was it. That was it for me. But I'm not one of these uh, people that come out the FA and bashes it. I, I had a great, I had a brilliant time. You know, I learned plenty of things, um, and, and we were successful. And I was part of that, and I'm very proud of that. I, I can't teach Dominic Solanke how to shoot and score. I can't teach Phil Fordin how to play on the half turn and, uh, and and receive and play a killer pass. And I think as an international coach, imagine it as a cake. It's, it's the top layer. It's the icing. And in terms of what I could give those players and what the coaching staff around me could give those players, we could give them a different problem than what they've faced in the clubs in the Premier League, perhaps, or the Championship or wherever they were. I thought the best work that got done was the reason I got brought in the first place is because I've been a manager at the top level. I understand a manager's brain and the way that they think and they need to trust the players that go through there. So probably the the the... The, the biggest and best amount of work that I would do would be on the on so I, I can give you two or three players a, a player that had just become a dad that was struggling to to deal with you know and just move to a new club um, there was uh, a player who um, who had got into his team but then being dropped couldn't get back in and they, they came and they sat down and they'd have a cup of cup of coffee with you you'd find out what was going on in their life you know they're still young people. 21, 22 years old, down to 16, in, uh, sorry, 17 in Phil's case. And players that are going through a lot of adulation or might be getting a bit of stick. Those chats over a cup of tea when they arrive or over that camp, a lot of the time we were there to, well, m- much more me, because I was I, I was the leader of that particular group. But I would sit down with the players and just find out where they were at. My agent said, I've got you know this club in for me or that club in for me and I don't really know what to do and... They just want somebody to listen. Some of the times you're a bit of an agony aunt, if you like. Yeah. And again, people might say, "Well, that's you know that's that's not a, a tactical or or technical or any any physical stuff there." No, it's not. It's the, it's, it's the social stuff because that's the most important space. Is what's between the ears. I think what we had we had we had players that become dads. We had players that um, had got big transfer fees. Players that got relegated. Players that have been dropped. Players that just got into the team. You know, there's so many things. Just young people growing up, really. Got a lot of adulation. that get new contracts that, you know, are playing European football all of a sudden. That get elevated to senior call-ups. And then they come back down and you're thinking, right, OK. Are they going to cope with the 21s? Um, just like being in a club, you get in the first team and then you get dropped. You get left out. How do they respond to that? So that would have been probably where most of my work would have been done to get everybody focused on what it is that we were doing. We were there for England. Got two days to to prepare Let's go and do it. For somebody to say, what was your biggest, what, what was your biggest strength? It would probably be the softer stuff, listening skills. The couldn't tell anybody what to do, but could facilitate a, a, a decision that they made themselves and just give them a, a rounded view, a different view. Because you imagine, but a young player's got the manager, the coaches, the media department, the agent, the entourage. The before you know it, it's like. Where do I go to? Who do I speak to? And sometimes we're just a good, friendly voice, a break from inter- a break from um, domestic football into the international stuff. And I think if you asked all the players, they'd say they had a, you know, they weren't just tested, but they had a brilliant time. When I go back to when I started watching football, and Alan Hansen was the pundits, and he used to talk about tournaments, and he used to talk about, you know, England technically aren't good enough; they can't keep the ball, and all, you know, England can do that now. Technically, we've got players that are as good as any anybody in the world. I think Gareth's taken the tactical side to another level. I think he's modelled teams and I think he's gone 
uh, he's gone beyond he's found the best way of playing for that particular group that he had so the back three that we had last World Cup Russia the way that the team played there the way he had Ashley Young playing there on the on, on the outside as a wing back coming in on the job that he'd done before and just a real deeper understanding of tactics and international tactics he's been brave in what he's done and how he's wanted to play and yeah all the conundrums aren't answered yet but you know we've got people like him and Steve Holland working at it, working at it. You know that at some point it's going to come right. So in terms of an insight into into what goes on, very very thorough coaching and management. The leadership is the key thing I think to get a group of people together from different clubs. And Gareth used to talk about this a lot about the, the shirt and how it wears heavy on a lot of players. You know who's going to be the villain? That was the first thought of a lot of players rather than how can I win the World Cup for my country? And I think there's been a massive shift in that. I think the players go there, they enjoy it. I think they respect him um, and they want to listen to what he's got to say. Uh, and again, similar to my role with the 21s, a lot of the time they need to, you know, imagine yeah, Harry Kane's situation in the summer. Um, he might have been his shoulder to, 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 or his ear to listen to and sometimes that's that's what you need really. In terms of culture, there was definitely definitely a tactical shift for the positive in terms of of what we learned and what we knew going forward, or what what they learned as going forward. It got the best out of the people that that he worked with. I think the nation came together because of the diversity of the team. I think that was a huge thing. Suddenly, everybody wanted England to win. You know, when when I went to Russia, looking back at the the, the pictures from home and the beer getting thrown in the air, mm. and you know, everybody wanted us to win. To get that in in, in a club where the whole town is with you because your football team's winning to then do it for the country where everybody's like, when's England's next game? Right, you're coming, you're coming around the house, let's get everybody in, let's have a barbecue or whatever it is you do. You know, those those are special, special moments. And in terms of insight into what, what they did, they brought people together. The tactical work that, that, that gets done, when you've got six different clubs represented in a squad it's like okay well we know how they play like, how can we get the best out of them how can we make that little triangle of midfield work better who who would be better in that position who who makes him better so you start to synergize a team the opponent at, then at the top level is like right okay how are we going to beat Spain in Spain what are we going to do there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of tweaks that get that get done but really it's the people skills that, that win the day and always will in my opinion and Gareth has got exceptional communication skills and he's got exceptional people skills and that's why that's why the the with the country is all behind him and, and that's what we're we were there to support him moving forward and, and, and hopefully trying to win something which we've ne- nearly done twice so that relationship with dan ashworth that you had you know he obviously sh- shifted from different roles you know from academy manager to then being more of an sporting, uh, sporting director administrative you don't see yourself as a Having done a, a job that was within an international association, you you want to go back to the the nuts and bolts rather than be in the stand looking down as a sporting director or something like that. Well, I, I wouldn't rule anything out because, I've, I've, as you say, because I've worked in a federation, because I've worked in a club as both a head coach and a and a manager. Mm. I, I wouldn't rule anything out that that building a, a federation or a, a club still appeals to me. I want to get my needs uh, met in terms of on the coaching field, but also realise that I'm not going to be on the grass every single day. Mm-hmm. If I can, great. If not, then you know there might be other things that I need to do. But I, I, f- I feel equipped to do a number of different roles. And I think that's what's happened over time, is that I've acquired different skills as we're going along in different roles. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule anything out, to be honest. If you could tell 34-year-old A.D. Boothroyd, something now as 51 year old what would you say to him i think it's a really hard question to answer because when i think back to playoff semi-finals playoff finals fa cup semi-finals players getting sold actually i'm going to, to villa i don't think i appreciated at the time the magnitude of what we were trying to do to stay up i think we got 28 28 points in the end yeah. for a full season you know, after such a euphoric season, getting promoted from nowhere to then playing against Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. When I when I look back, I've got a picture in the garage of some of the you know Rafa Benitez, 
Big Sam when, he, when he's there, Alan Kirbishley was there, Part, Alan Pardew, and look at all these managers and I think, right, OK, how many are still going? And I, and I think, if I could tell myself, just try and learn more. Try and learn more from that season. Because it, because the emotion took over in the end, because we were so desperate to stay up. And of course, we went through you know, losing Marlon King, which is a massive blow. Youngy leaving, then Ben leaving and going back to United. And then having to forge your team to try and just hang on in there as much as we could. So I would say to him, do not miss a minute. Do not get caught up in the emotion of it. Try and learn as much as you can because you're playing and you are competing against the best, literally the best managers in the world. And you've only had one year of practice. It's like, okay, what chance have I got? But uh, that that would be it, mate. You know, young people say, try and enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. I remember getting promoted and being on the bus on the way back and looking at Keith Birkinshaw and saying to him, what are we going to do now? We, the, the lads have done so well. What are we going to do now? I didn't have a clue. So so coming coming back to being 51, it's like I feel like I've I've got so much, squeezed so much out of, 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 of what I've done. I've tried to get the best out of everything. I've tried to enjoy. But you get on the hamster's wheel and it's not always possible. And that's where I think those periods of reflection are massive, mm. because it's like you know, get to asking me some questions where I'm thinking, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, that'll be good. I'd like to do that. But I think, I think, I think overall, I'd say to him, try and learn more. Try and visit them more. Go and see, get out and see them. But I was a competitor against them. They wanted three points off us or six points off us a season. It's almost like what people say about imposter syndrome, isn't it? Like stood at Anfield or stood at Old Trafford as the as the manager. And you've been doing it for two years. Did you ever sort of think, what what am I doing here? But at the same time, you had that huge confidence and that charismatic personality. At, at the time, I'd, I was very much like, come on, let's have a go, bring it on. Yeah. But now I think, okay, need to be a bit more cuter than that. And some of those, some, somebody said a stat to me that um, had the games finished on 75 minutes, we would have got, we would have stayed up. It's like, that ain't no use to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not what I need to hear. But I didn't I didn't realise the quality and the challenges that the Premier League brings, and a lot of that hasn't changed at, at the top end. It is at the very top end. I think the way that the game's played now is, you know, by the better teams, is is just like it's entertainment. It's like theatre. It's brilliant to watch. But yeah, I, I was I was definitely charismatic. Was still am I quietly quietly charismatic? I think I am now a little bit more reflective and a little bit more worldly wise than, than what I was but yeah that that'd be it learn learn as much as you can in all the emotion and all the noise a Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic this is from the rookery end so there you go that was A.D. Boothroyd speaking to me last week covering a lot of uh, a lot of territory there with uh, with what he was talking about um, and I really enjoyed going to see him checking in with him and and just sort of seeing where he is at the moment and and it will be very interesting to see where his where his next job is he realizes as he alluded to there in the interview that some of the criticism that he got when he was at England at Watford elsewhere as well that mud has stuck and he might need to step away get a job abroad or get a job at the you know in in MLS or or where, wherever it is just to try and rebuild get back on track but i think he realizes that there are there are a lot of of opportunities out there and he's seen some other coaches have have different paths and then get them back in to the mix in England and also it's not the be all and end all you don't have to work in England you can go and work wherever you want in in the world I thought it was really interesting to hear Boothroyd as you said you know in his early 50s now he's obviously still got a lot of the characteristics that made him what he was when he burst onto the scene with Watford but he he's definitely mellowed a bit he's had an interesting career path over the last 15 years or so as you rightly say the Hoofroyd name is something that sticks with him the criticism of his style of play is something that he can't escape I found it really intriguing to see the comments on your piece in the, in the written article on the athletic website just how how many people were angry it seems that he was able to be the England under 21 manager for such a period of time and angry that he failed if you know perceived failure and that we didn't do this we didn't win this game we didn't get through to that tournament and I think if you you listen to that interview 
and this is hit that the, he he's probably obviously going to say this because there's an element of sort of defending his own reputation, understandably. But the the England under twenty one manager's job is not necessarily really to win trophies or to win football matches. Yes, you want to breed winning habits at, with these young players. But you want to develop them. And clearly that was his focus on helping them, not just as footballers. Because as he said, there's not, you know, what can he teach Phil Foden and some of those other players that he had, you know, who are elite level players at a young age already. But what you can do is try and help them develop as people. And that's that's always clearly been being a big part of, of Boothroyd's philosophy, right back from the early days at Watford when, you know, when he brought in characters like Marlon King, who had... Uh, you know his fair share of troubles you know had a lot of them subsequently but he was clearly a, a person who wanted to sit down with people and try and help them and I think that's a commendable uh, quality really to have but I, I, I do find hearing from out-of-work former managers to be slightly tragic in a way and obviously look they're very well paid and they, they you know they've got lovely houses and all that they've lived a charmed life in many ways so i don't feel we, sh- we shouldn't get the you know get the little violins out for them but i just mean in terms of they've only ever known really one thing and when you hear them talk about oh yeah my soul's in a good place yeah you know i'm doing 3 days a week it's, it's it sounds like you know your old nan who's retired or something <laughs> and and da, 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 da. Nanny Boothroyd. <laughs> it's a strange thing. I remember meeting Chris Hewton um, a couple of years back when he was out of work post Brighton before he got the Forest job, and he was he was absolutely lovely bloke. And I was chatting to him about what he was up to and stuff, and he was like, "Yeah, well, you know, I'm keeping busy. I'm watching games, and um, I go to the library sometimes, and I sort of read up on coaching manuals and this." And it's like pottering about, and it's it's such a to go from this you know pressure cooker environment where the, where you're you're at the helm of a football club or the, or you're on the staff of an England team going to the World Cup to all of a sudden being sitting sitting at home and wondering where the next job's going to come from regardless of their relative privilege and comfortable status in life it must be quite a difficult thing mentally for them to deal with and you can clearly feel that appetite that he has to get back into the game but he must be wondering is that chance going to come because as you say the reputation he has might be difficult for him to get into a decent job in club football and it's you know you look at like Mark Hughes has just taken the job at Bradford you know people like that who've got really proud records in management and have managed at the top level in the Premier League you're going to have to you know he might have to take a job in League 2 if he wants to get back in or maybe in the National League or something so it's quite an interesting thing to see where he's going to go in the future but I I thought it was interesting to hear him in quite reflective mood. There's a couple of fascinating things for me and and you can link them the first one to Watford a little bit at uh, the current day Watford a little bit that impossible job comment that he made after the after the under 21s exit from the tournament that's obviously followed him around a little bit as well and he he mentions in the in the interview it said it in the in the heat of battle so to speak directly after the after the match when he was still feeling a little bit raw but that's a real insight isn't isn't it into how words can resonate or echo after the event because with people are still talking about that comment much in the same way as people st- still bring up for example Scott Duxbury's comments um, about about learning from mistakes and, and so on and so forth so it's it just sort of rang true with me just how long football supporters and indeed journalists and people in the game at, at how how long their memories are when it comes to these little phrases and, and, and uses of terminology and Dave you alluded to it as well just how he dealt with Marlon King and I think AD referred to it as his soft skills helping people to be the best they can be and I think that that speaks to his willingness to be open about thinking and talking about sort of stuff that's outside the what's perhaps the perceived normal remit of a of a football coach and uh, he, he was 34 when he got Watford promoted, mm, and even back mad. then he was he was thinking outside the box. He was I'll always remember that I think it was at home to Ipswich late on in the in that promotion campaign. He let the Ipswich fans dissipate. He asked the Watford fans to stay behind and staged like a um, a penalty shootout. Half the crowd had to get between team, behind Team A, half the crowd had to get behind Team B. And I think his what's interesting about A.D. AD Boothroyd is his willingness to embrace that side of things. And I think phrases like soft skills, I think perhaps, you know, 20 years ago, or however long ago it was, not quite that long, 
that might not have been quite so high on the agenda, but it but it has been for for him throughout, and and I think it's potentially something like that. His sort of armoury of of being a football coach is perhaps more rounded and uh, and more refined than than perhaps um, some of his uh, of his contemporaries. But yeah, overall, really really interesting to to hear hear from him, and just fascinating to hear about his career. Post Watford, because John went to speak to um, him a couple of years ago for for the podcast when we reflected on the on his Watford career. But it's really nice to store, to see, hear about life after Vicarage Road to to a degree. But yeah, you can you can link in lots of what he said to to his time at WD eighteen as well. If you want to read the article that was boiled down from the interview that you uh, that you just heard, uh, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And if you're not part of the athletic family already, uh, you can uh, you can tuck into that article and uh, become a subscriber with our latest offer. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Just wanted to point you in the direction of a couple of other articles uh, that are on The Athletic at the moment for you. Uh, Just filling this footballing void in between that wonderful win against Southampton and the trip to Anfield after the international break. It is 12.30 though, and it is straight after an international break, so... Maybe, maybe there might be a glimmer of hope. They probably put it at twelve thirty to make sure it's before the watershed in in, in every time zone. <laughs> yeah, but no, I do remember. I do remember, and correct me if I'm wrong. That when Watford last played at Anfield, it was an early kickoff, and yes, I know they won two nil. But that first half that we had mm, under Nigel Pearson, yeah, with Decore and Ismail Assar, we could have quite easily been two nil up. And if we can, if we can just catch them, catch them off guard. Lads, do you, you mem- remember saying this ahead of Ranieri's first game? It was after an international break. It was 12.30. <laughs> we were saying, oh, we might catch them. The players might not be ready. What happened? <laughs> I know, but we were playing 14, 14 left backs and uh, Ranieri was facing the wrong way in the dugout. I mean, it was, you know, it was... It was never going to happen. Anyway, but no, I, I, take, I take your point. I take your point. But anyway, as I was saying, um, there are a couple of articles just to, just to quickly discuss. And one of them is, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, it's all about the, the hero of the hour, Cucho Hernandez, just going back in his life, back to Colombia, how it all started, how he ended up um, moving into the, the, the Pozzo regime and eventually getting his move to Watford, what he's like as a character from the people that have worked with him, coached him, his father as well. There's some um, excerpts from interviews that he's done over the years, one in particular from when he was actually 16 and was a, a prodigious talent and scoring loads of goals um, in Colombia. And then he did really well uh, with a couple of loan moves in, in Spain, obviously. And then eventually this sort of much fabled talent eventually came over to Watford and it's it's been a bit of a slow burn but i think we're all on we're all on team cucho at the moment aren't we mike absolutely yeah there's a, there's definitely a little bit of a buzz when when he gets the ball um he makes things happen he's busy he's confident he looks the part and yeah most importantly of all he's he's scored a couple of goals hasn't he recently he got great performance away at southampton i was lucky enough to be there firsthand to see it his celebrations even sort of give you cause for the celebration if you like he's got something about him he's he's definitely a bright spot at the moment for for Watford and the, and the other piece bit in the article that gave me a warm feeling was like if you like was his relationship with with Jao Pedro and how close they are because 
whatever division Watford are in next season, if somehow they can keep both these players, I think if if they've got that good relationship, they could be a really potent threat for Watford. Certainly in the in the Championship, and if we are able to stay up, then they can hopefully do good things in the in the Premier League as well. But yeah, lot, a, a good buzz about Cucho, and he's had to sort of earn it, hasn't he? Because he's been in and out of the side. Um, he's really had to keep his his nut down and and have faith in his abilities, especially when you take into context he's had to wait for this opportunity with with loan moves um, in in Spain as well. And he, I think, he alludes to the fact that the Premier League has always been his his target. And having got there, opening day success against Villa, then been a bit in and out. So. Hopefully, him hitting form at the right time is uh, is good news for Watford. Yeah, it's encouraging. I, I remember chatting to, to Charlie on the on the Twitter Spaces before the Arsenal game a few weeks ago, and and you know the the team came out and Cucho was starting, and there was questions about right, you know, is he finally going to grasp the metal? Is, is, is he you know because King was out, Saar was out, it was an opportunity for him, and he. Grasped it firmly with both hands, scored that amazing goal, which has been nominated for goal of the month. I've just seen, and then followed it up with those two goals at Southampton that earned us the three points. He's really stepped up. When a few weeks back, you were like, mm, "I've seen flashes, but is the consistency there? Is he going to be a player that comes good?" Well, it looks like he could very well be the real deal, and. Maybe he will play a big part for us going forward if we if he chooses you know if if we the club choose to keep him around or if he chooses to stay next season regardless of of division. But it's really it's really encouraging and it was there was some nice little nuggets in that piece. Uh, just as you say about his background and his family and and all that and he's had quite the journey and it was good to hear that he was you know that you contrasted him with uh, Luis Suarez who we uh, not that one the one that we had who left obviously before last season when we thought he was going to be the player that was going to come back maybe and start and this player that we'd heard a lot about but he basically wasn't interested and was shipped out the door straight away whereas Cucho when he came back after his loans was like no I want to knuckle down I want to try and be a player for Watford which is really encouraging to hear and it's great to see him doing so well yeah it will be it will be really interesting to see obviously what happens in in the next nine games but what does happen in the summer and who is deemed to be the saleable assets if the worst happens and even if they do stay up you know there's been stories this week about Ishmael Assar definitely going I mean that's something that we've been saying right from the the beginning of this season on The Athletic that it's it's likely he's going to go whether Watford stay up or not but uh, it'll be interesting to see what Cucho does from now until the end of the season and then in the summer because you know you compare it to Ishmael Assar he's got the fans on board due to his 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 effort his dynamism the way that he buzzes around which which can't be said all the time of some other players uh, in that Watford side. So, you know, he, it's it's like that old sort of... I mean, people say, you know, you've got educated fans. They're a knowledgeable football crowd. But basically, football fans like to see someone who rats around and works hard. And, they, and then, they, you know, he's on board or you're on board with, with that player. So it is interesting that Kucho has the got The Colombian Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and this is sort of... You know, obviously, we hope Cucho, you know, leads the charge, but it is going to be a collective effort that keeps Watford in the Premier League, hopefully. And what I wanted to do, and this shows what you do when when you haven't got any football. I started going through all the all the teams in the relegation zone, um, and everyone up to Newcastle. I was actually going to exclude Newcastle, but then obviously they lost against Everton, um, and I included them. And I went through all the fixtures. I went through their home and away record, their points per game, um, how they fared against the top teams, the middle teams, the the lower echelon teams, trying. And what did you come out with? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, trying to wheedle out, wheedle out that Watford are actually, you know, they're far better on this metric. They've got this data point bang on, and they're you know they're heading for the stars. But actually, I broke it all down and. It basically came down to Watford are going to get relegated if they carry on the way they're going. And I think everyone understands that. However, what it doesn't take into account is incremental improvements, which might still not be enough. But the one big thing is, and everyone knows this, everyone knows it. And it's funny that sometimes you're encountered with these big sort of data pieces and metrics and all this sort of stuff. And basically, it comes down to Watford being able to put a performance together at home maybe more than one, and just winning a game of football at Vicarage Road. And that 
could blow the whole set of probabilities out of the water because they have more games against relegation rivals than anyone else and they have four games against relegation rivals at home. Dave, you're the, our resident royalist. Um, are, are you feeling that you know he has he has got the key to victory at, at Vicarage Road? I've, I very much doubt it, to be honest. But <laughs> you know what can we do? We've got to be positive. If we win, if we win those home games, we'll have a chance. But I, I, I just self preservation more than anything else. I can't let myself get too carried away. We won that game against Southampton. You start to dream, then you know Leeds and Everton both get late wins, and that's the problem we're in. We need every team around us to lose all their games as well as us winning games that the evidence suggests we probably won't. So it's a dire situation as you as you outlined in your piece, whichever way you slice it, we are in deep, deep trouble. And that much has been obvious for a while. But until it's mathematically gone, you've got to be you've got to get behind the team. Let's make the atmosphere at Vicarage Road as good as it possibly can be. Let's get up for it. Let's cheer them on. Who knows? Absolutely. And imagine how tall we'll be walking having won at Anfield for the first time since 1999 and Tommy Mooney's great goal and Tommy will be there in the crowd and and it'll all be a festival of football against Leeds and we'll just roll on to another victory because remember, football is not an exact science and it can change in a heartbeat, ladies and gentlemen. And that, folks, is why you should never drink at lunchtime in the sunshine. Oh dear! Right, yeah. The, the from the rookery and propaganda party signing off for uh, for this week's show. But I I do hope that you've uh, you've enjoyed it. It's a little bit different, obviously, in this international break having having Aidy Boothroyd on the on the show. If you want to check out that article, the one on Cucho, uh, and also that one on all the uh, predictions and probabilities and the data and the metrics as well. That's all on The Athletic at the moment. Go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end uh, and you can check out our latest deal. Dave, thanks very much. No problem. And Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure. Come on, you golden boys. Here we go. Quite right. Quite right. Here we go. Enjoy the trip to Anfield if you are going and we will be back afterwards to just, just check out how good that win was. Take care, everyone. The Athletic.